Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to give a shout out to Heyday, my local downtown gift shop here in Bozeman. Now, you know how Taylor Hunt and I are offering a week retreat here at the end of the month, and David Kyle and I have one planned at the end of September. Well, Heyday helped me put together a special Welcome to Bozeman bag with local treasures and gifts for the students who are traveling here. That's super sweet, right? So check them out on Facebook, look for Heyday Bozeman, and give them a like. Oh, and you can find details for both those retreats on the website. Just go to ashtangadispatch.com. And now, on to today's episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast, where I get to sit down and chat up some of Ashtanga's most noted teachers outside the practice room, finding out what inspires them, drives them, and sometimes even fires them up. Remember, these podcast episodes are never scripted. Ideally, I really wish we were sitting in my living room over a cup of tea, but most of the time, I just pick up the phone and call. And that's what I did with today's guest, Zoe Ward. Well, somehow we got onto the topic of authorization. And of course, in the Ashtanga yoga world, that's a conversation that can get pretty heated. So I gotta tell you, there are times the two of us get a little excited, blurting out ideas all at the same time, making my editor's life really difficult. And once or twice, the reception isn't so good. Anyway, sorry about that. But what I'm not sorry about is talking about a subject that no matter where you sit is pretty important in today's yoga world. How teachers become teachers is a subject relevant not just in Ashtanga, but in all styles, right? Okay. Meet Zoe Ward of Mysore Charlottesville, who is herself a KPJAYI authorized teacher. Hey, everybody. It's Peg Mulqueen with your latest episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. Now, I know that I promised you Sarah Swati for our next episode, but as it turns out, my daughter decided to stay in Mysore, and she has my iPad. So are you ready, Zoe Ward? Because I think you have um, some big shoes to fill. I didn't tell her this, by the way, before I called her. Yeah, man, you threw me under the bus. <laughs> so I am here on the phone with Zoe Ward, who is an authorized teacher in Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I came across Zoe on Facebook, right? She's one of those like Facebook gems. And I know there's a lot of noise out there, but Zoe's voice was like a breath of fresh air for me. Like I read it and I didn't always agree with her, right? I mean, there's been times where I was like, oh, I don't know about that. But she was always honest and brave and passionate and um, spunky. She's spunky. So I, and people, you know, I don't do this very often, but I actually asked her point blank if she would write for Stronger Dispatch. And I think I have like, three other people that write for Ashtanga Dispatch and that's it. But Zoe was the very first person I approached and asked her to, to write for us because I loved her voice. I loved her voice and I knew others would love her voice. So Zoe, I am so glad you are joining us today. I am so excited and I really want others to get to know you um, the way I have the past 
year or so. I guess I guess it's just been a year. Yeah, a little over a year. I guess we started talking in the fall of you know the year before last. Between action and inaction, take action. From the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, that's from a translation of the Bhagavad Gita. And I remember uh, reading that and not having any idea what that meant. Um, and uh, I, I guess maybe I still don't know what it means. But um, Well, the funny part about it is, is your second quote. <laughs> and I'm going to tie this all together for you. Your second okay. quote is, yoga is the practice of tolerating the consequences of being yourself. Also, yeah. a translation from the Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. Then yesterday, you put up a Facebook status. Do you know what it was? Do you remember what you put? The control yourself? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's yeah, that, uh, that, that was that was a quote from Sharat last year in the main shala, the, the day he... Um, the, the first day he had me work on Karandavasana, I had uh, assisted him for the first the first batch in the morning and then was doing my practice and I uh, was right in front of the door, which I'm, I'm sure you can relate to now having been in the shala, the kind of the, that like fishbowl of being just right in front of the door. And uh, he told me to do Karandavasana and I did not succeed. And uh, his... <laughs> was was just this kind of like this he, he's so funny you know it, it 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 felt like a joke um the kind of like control yourself but at the same time it was this like kind of sincere like okay you gotta focus um and then you know he walked away and let me try to hash that out on my own it's funny how often asana kind of translates into life, right? Like these, these directions that we get, you know, I remember when he said to me, no fearing. And mm. I mean, he said so little to me, that was like one of the few things he said to me and to know me knows that, well, I'm fearing a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It wasn't just in that one instance for sure. Yeah, the the control yourself um, advice actually got some, you know, obviously I shared that on Facebook and um, I got some feedback from a good friend of mine from Mysore later in the season um, who had been working on the same posture on Karnavasana for a couple of years and uh, she has an amazing practice and I was kind of uh, left a little at a loss as to why she, she wasn't, um, you know, finding the structure to be able to uh, put Karandavasana together. Uh, and I told her about this uh, exchange with Shirat shortly after it happened. And she, uh, a few weeks later, told me that that had really hit home with her and that it had actually um, kind of inspired her to, to look a little more closely at our ability to control ourselves in and out of the practice room. And, um, and it was, it was really interesting to have I got the advice for the asana particularly um, or specifically, and then it had been really useful for a friend who was working on the same asana and the advice had, had been much more informative to her about kind of how she had been approaching the structure of her year and uh, the, the, 
whatever she was using for the foundation of her her life and and her practice and um it was that was that feedback was really kind of powerful to me and, and a good reminder of how how much of what the practice teaches us is really universal and and um simple well i thought it was really interesting that you posted that yesterday because even as i described you as that spunky vibrant passionate voice out there it's hard. The social media thing is so hard. Yeah. I know you and I have talked about this, but you know, first it's hard to find your voice, right? First it's hard to have even the confidence, the courage, anything just to speak. And yeah. There there's a lot of fear. <laughs> you know, like it's it's another thing where you have to um you have to trust in your intention behind what you're trying to do. Like if you want to put yourself out there publicly, it requires you to kind of face your fear of um, rejection and face the fear of, of disapproval um, from, from the anonymous internet, as well as from, from people who, you know, whose opinions might actually matter to you. Um, and that, you know, that's a practice in itself. Yes. And I know that you and I have talked about, that that was a process for you, right? This wasn't, you, you weren't like the, the finding your voice was not an easy process for you, correct? Oh, it, it is a process for me. I would <laughs> definitely not put that in the past tense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's still hard. Every time I write something, um, I, I kind of, I have to spend a lot of time rereading it and kind of considering my motivations and why I want to communicate um, about whatever it is that I'm talking about, because I have, I have a really deep seated fear of, of, uh, of, of being wrong, of being unfair, of, um, of being judgmental or intolerant. Um, cause I, you know, I was exposed to that kind of early on in my adult life. Um, the potential for the practice to create intolerance in people and, uh, to create this drive towards judgment and, uh, and it scared me, you know, it scared me to see that in people that I really looked up to and that I really trusted. Um, it, it was scary to, to observe people seeing that in me. Um, you know, I didn't really see it in myself. Cause I think when you're being intolerant or judgmental, you like, you feel pretty validated in it. Um, but you know, your family and your friends and people you trust are pretty, um, are a pretty consistent reflection of your behavior, you know, and, and their responses to kind of who I was becoming made me realize that like, it was just that I was going the wrong way. And, uh, and so now part of, part of writing and communicating publicly is, uh, is, is, a, to a certain extent, a, a, a method of accountability that I, I'm, I can't just hold my views and I can't just, um, decide how I feel about things without a sounding board, because, you know, you get backlash when you, when you write and when you put yourself out there. And, um, for me, it's more a, a practice in being fair and being honest and being open to dislike so long as I'm disliked because like, you know, we just agree to disagree and not because I'm being unfair. And, uh, I totally get that. Yeah. And that, that's an ongoing, as an ongoing practice, you know, I'm kind of using the anonymous internet to, uh, 
to to keep me from spiraling into that kind of self-fulfilling, self-reinforcing um, uh, possibility that, that leads to judgment and intolerance. It's kind of a push and pull, isn't it? What, what I first heard in your voice and what I continue to hear and what really just excites me is that passion, is that spark, is that you do have great intention. You're out there wanting to spread this message of, yes, fairness and love and inclusiveness. And you're willing to call out things that aren't and ideas that conflict with that. And you're willing to do that in a, in a pretty strong way. And yet, on the other hand, I watch you pull back the control yourself, the... All of a sudden, I'm like, where's Zoe? Where'd she go? <laughs> and right when things are getting, right when I, I see things boiling up and I'm like, where's Zoe? Where's Zoe? Yeah, I was, uh, I had a conversation with my dad yesterday who, you know, obviously is a mentor of mine. I'm fortunate that, you know, that my dad plays that role in my life. Uh, and he was, he was reminding me that ever since I was a child, I have had the kind of personality to, to stomp my foot and cross my arms and yell, that's not fair. (laughs) That's what I see. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, there are so many injustices in the world that, uh, and they, they they're so often in opposition to one another. Like they're you know if you if you fight for justice for one one group or one person or one situation, then inevitably you know that if that leads to this sort of overarching uh, fundamentalism, then that ends up creating injustice in in some other area. You know, and it does. It's never that simple. You know, as like this is this is the right way, this is the choice we should make collectively as a species or a community or a, you know, a, a group. And, uh, and I guess I, one of my goals as a, you know, as a person, as a practitioner, um, is to be able to recognize both sides of that, to, to be able to say like, okay, so let's ask for justice in this situation, um, for fairness, for kindness, and and then let's be able to see the ripples on the pond that res- that result from that and acknowledge the injustice or the unfairness or the the unkindness that results from you know prioritizing the needs of one group and that's you know in some ways it's challenging cuz i don't think we're really hardwired towards that in american culture we're a little more kind of look out for yourself and other people have to look out for themselves and if everybody is just smart and looks out for themselves and it'll be fine and people who don't do that will they get left behind and uh like that is i don't know stomp my foot across my arms that's not fair uh so yeah, well, so what you're saying is pretty difficult. I mean, what you're saying is hard. You know, we're watching right now politics playing out on the TV screen, right? I'm, yeah. 
Like, I mean, it's driving me insane. I, I want so bad to just turn off the TV and not watch any of the debates. And we're in the middle of, you know, hot political season. And, and it seems like everybody, you only can speak from your, your box. You, you can't even dare go outside your box in politics because if you do, you're off message and you dilute it. And it, it just, it's so infuriating because people don't live in boxes and it's just so stupid. And yet I find the more I watch, the more I even want to get set in my own box. Like I don't need, like, I don't even, like, I don't want to go outside of it. Then, then I open up my computer and you might not have known I was going to touch upon this, but I'm gonna, because then I look at, then I see Ashtanga getting all political at the moment. Maybe at the moment. I mean, yes, at the moment. I know it happens a lot, but right now there seems to be this big shit storm about authorization. And just coming out of Mysore, it's it's really, I'm, an, I'm not an authorized teacher. And I just went to Mysore and had a fantastic experience. And I'm not in any box. I feel like I'm not in a box, right? I'm floating around and I'm watching now the the internet or Facebook in particular kind of getting all fiery and creating boxes around authorized and non-authorized. And even people that are speaking not from a box are getting boxed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I think it, the expression I come back to frequently with that kind of idea of camps um, is you don't have to be wrong for me to be right. And, uh, that's, I really, I wish as a community, we could embrace that idea that like, you know, this, this practice has been, uh, you know, more and more prolific over the course of the last 50 years. And, and obviously, Patavi Joyce presented the practice differently from, you know, the first years of teaching to his later years of teaching. Obviously, um, you know, these teachers that we have as leaders in our community now, um, Manju and and Sharat are very easy examples, you know, because they're part of the family. Obviously, they're going to have different perspectives because they learned from Guruji at a different point in his life. Uh, They're different people. They live in different parts of the world. Um, They deal with with different types of students in different types of environments. And obviously, they're going to present the practice differently. And I don't really understand why that is a problem. Because I think that's what makes the practice so um, interesting to people is just the fact that like it, it's very simple and it's very structured and there's not a lot of room for interpretation. And yet we, we get up in arms about these little teeny differences, like really in the grand scheme of things, they're so small. And, uh, and okay, so one method works for this huge group of people. And this other method works for a different huge group of people. I mean, who who cares like what vinyasa count you use or or whether or not you, you know, include this posture at this place. It if it's serving people, then let that be enough. And if what another teacher is doing doesn't serve you, then you know, don't don't ask them to teach you. Like that's that's enough. 
I'm going to be devil's advocate because I'm sitting here listening to you speak and I have to tell you, I love it. Like, that's exactly the way I feel. That is yeah. exactly, but I am running up against not that. So I'm going to go on one end of the coin and one person's going to say, yeah, but why can't, why aren't all teacher, like, why can't, why aren't Manju's uh, students listed on the KPJAYI website? That's, that is what somebody, or, and I'm, and I don't mean to call, cause I, I don't mean to call anybody out, but I mean, assert any certified teacher or the son, why, why isn't that list? Why isn't that name listed? So, uh, well, I think, uh, you know, obviously this has to be off the record because I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I can I can speculate that um, just for the sake of simplicity, you know, like that's there. There have to be some guidelines somewhere or all of it kind of deteriorates. So uh, Sherat, you know, happened to be the person who was in Mysore and was kind of running the show as uh, Guruji's second in command. And so that responsibility fell to him. Um, you know, he arguably, I don't know for certain, but arguably uh, had the closest connection and strongest awareness of the choices that Guruji was making for students in the last decade of his life. So he will most um, closely be able to reflect uh, the work that Guruji was doing. Obviously, he trusted him. Um, and, and okay, so, so there's that. And that's, that's well, why Shrek so students are the ones who are authorized and certified. But the thing is, the thing that's important to me, um, is that the KPJ is not going out in the world and suing people yeah. for teaching classes called Ashtanga who aren't authorized. They're not going out in the world and shutting down teacher trainings and trademarking the series or, or copywriting the name, or they're not doing that. And, you know, Shira really emphasizes the importance of Parampara and emphasizes the importance of Guru Shishya and, and, and having this connection to an individual. And he's regularly asked in conference, you know, you say do this, this other teacher says this, which one is correct? And his answer is always, you have one teacher. I have never heard him say, my way is correct. I've never heard him say, you should listen to me. I didn't hear it either. He says, he nope. says have one teacher. I was there only a month and of course Megan's there another month and I I didn't hear it either. And I thought, and when I hear people say this, first of all, I think to myself, oh my God, control yourself. <laughs> I mean, there has to be some, well, there has to be some level as, as anything gets really big, there has to be some level of structure that you do. The bigger something is, the more structure you just have to put in or else it becomes chaos. And you know, I don't actually agree with that. No. Um, I think as human beings, as animals, we like structure. Obviously, like the Ashtanga practice is nothing but structure. And I think it helps us kind of keep ourselves on an even keel. So in the larger organization, we're served well by structure. But from an ethical perspective, if we all try to be kind and generous and understanding, um, then it wouldn't be necessary. Okay, but true. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's our drive towards uh, competition 
and our drive for kind of needing success at the expense of someone else. Unfortunately, I kind of think that's what it boils down to because just succeeding is not enough. You have to succeed better. You know, like having an Instagram account where you put up pictures and it makes you happy and people tell you that it makes them happy, that's not enough. You have to have more followers than the next person. And uh, and that it appears to just kind of be human nature. And so I, I, I hesitate to criticize people who kind of uh, drive themselves on that basis of, I have to have the highest level of accreditation. I have to have the most asanas. I have to, you know, and, and this kind of competition and then people who get resentful of their inability to um, to subscribe to the, the structure of the main shala. They, let's say they have kids uh, who it prohibits them from going to Mysore. They, you know, have a kind of normal financial obligations that keep them from going to Mysore or whatever. They're not interested in Trot because they love their home teacher. Like all of those are perfectly good reasons to not go to Mysore. But I think the fact that they recognize that they won't be able to compete in this world of, of uh, categorized success, I think that that causes this kind of deep rooted pain that, Obviously, the practice is supposed to teach us to let go of, but but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that that's kind of human nature. Like keeping up with the Joneses. Like if you can't keep up, then you're going to be inherently dissatisfied, and uh, and that's suffering at the end of the day. That you know that's something we need to try to have compassion for, rather than being retaliatory and accusatory and saying you know, if you don't want to go, then you're not really dedicated. Or, you know, if you, if you love your teacher and they're not authorized, then you're wrong. And just like this sort of madness that, that it just, I don't know what good comes of it. Zoe, don't control yourself. <laughs> that, that is, that is the best reasoning I have heard. And I, I love the way you switch between both camps and have so much compassion wrapped around each one and can see, because there's a lot of devotion and dedication that comes when you travel to, to study with any one teacher. I mean, absolutely. There's, and there's also times when that's not possible. I mean, totally. I have I have a student, a first year UVA student who takes the free bus from her dorm uh, downtown to practice with me um, a couple days a week. And like, maybe she's not flying 9,000 miles to go to Mysore, but man, that is dedication. It's total I mean, dedication. She's just, she's just a kid. And like, she figured out how to make it happen. And that's amazing, you know? And like, I, I don't know what her background is particularly, but if she is attending the University of Virginia, she's got there some privilege that played a role in her life. And I think uh, I think so much of the time we don't acknowledge that it's a struggle for every single one of us. Like whether whether the struggle is to go all the way to Mysore and to live out of your car and work six jobs um, in between to make it happen, or if the struggle is, you know, to 
to find a sitter that you can afford to help your daughter get up and make it to school in the morning because you're going to practice. You know, like I know people who do, you know, or if you're just the first year and you just have to catch the bus, but that's still kind of amazing at 17 or 18 to have that motivation. Like, I think the practice is so much work to, to just on your mat. Like, that's awesome. And I think we all collectively acknowledge that that's a lot of work. Um, but shifting from normal life into that space on your mat and whether it is getting a ride across town or flying all the way to Mysore, everybody has their own, their own kind of sacrifices and struggles that they make. And I think this whole idea of like, I struggle more than you. I make more sacrifices than you. Therefore my practice is better. And it's like, no, you don't know. Cause for me to go to Mysore, like, for me to to work a bunch of jobs and, and save all my pennies and get on a flight and go to Mysore, I know for a fact that's not as much as a struggle as my friend who has to find a babysitter to wake up her daughter and send her to school in the morning. Like it's easier for me to go to Mysore than for her to show up in class in the morning. And like, I don't think we always keep that perspective. It's not as simple as we want to make it seem, especially when we're kind of vilifying one another for making different choices. Well, we have in that it takes work. Like it's so much easier to go in the box. And I will tell you, I presented one case where it says, why can't everybody be listed or have a certificate or whatever. But then on the other hand, I will say I have definitely been, criticized for being a voice out there and for teaching and not being authorized and up until this year, not making even a trip to Mysore. So yeah. I do know that that is also, so that exists because yeah. I experienced it. Well, and before, before we were ever in touch, um, actually there, there was a, I became aware of you because of, um, kind of a buzz going around the authorized community saying, how do we feel about Peg Mulqueen? And, <laughs> and I was like, who, what? <laughs> Wait, uh, you didn't know who I was? Damn. No. Uh, well, I don't, I, I am, I am really selfish in that I write blogs and I don't really read them very much. Um, so, uh, anyway, so I didn't, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know what's happening. And, uh, so I kind of read people, how people were feeling about it and, uh, looked into you a little bit myself. And I was like, you know, well, she, she, she has a teacher, like, you know, she has a teacher who's, who's, who's part of our lineage. Like, what's the problem? Like, I don't, you know, what it boils down to is now, um, it's not so simple as like, oh, you go to the Ashtanga Yoga Research Institute, you practice with Patabi Joyce, and now you're part of the lineage. You know, there are so many people who have the blessing of the main jala to teach and and the the this kind of power to pass it on has been so widely distributed that I think it's really unfair for us to say, you know, my student in Charlottesville who has never been to the main jala or never practiced with, you know, a certified teacher or a senior teacher, 
um, that they're somehow not part of the lineage. Like then does, does all of the work I did and my having my teacher's blessing to teach me nothing? Um, and I think, and for, for me, uh, particularly with you, it was like, well, she's, she's had a teacher. And if I, you know, if you were like, I learned Ashtanga from books and I learned it from the internet and I have never spoken to another human being about it and I make all my own choices, then sure. Then I would say, uh, not to say that's wrong, but you're kind of missing out if you don't have a personal relationship with, you know, another human being who um, can help guide you. Um, and I, I think I think having a teacher is very important, but you, there was a teacher, you know, why does that teacher have to be Sherat? I, I mean, like, it, it, which sounds funny coming from me because, like, I love, I love Sharad, I love the main Jala. I wish that everybody had the opportunity to go there, but I understand that my relationship with the Shala is based heavily on privilege, and you know, I have privileges that made that experience available to me that I understand not everyone has, and uh, and and I'm, you know, I'm starting to to kind of get the the backlash of the community growing and understanding that I can't always participate every time I want to, and um, and that has to be okay, you know, I can't, I can't, um, you, we can't say it's it's kind of ironic that we say, everybody should go to Mysore, and if you don't go to Mysore, you're not legit. And then now some of us who've been going for, for years and years aren't getting in, and are turning around saying, oh, how could I not get in? I've been going for years and years. And it's like, how does that work, guys? Like, oh. I don't, you can't have it both ways. It's so much easier to speak from a box. It's so much easier to get super small and insular and not consider all the other various perspectives and only my little one inside my box. It gets smaller and smaller in here. Yeah, I disagree with that. I love how you disagreed with me twice. Twice, you spunky little thing. I love you. Yes, this is the second time. Go for it. Because first time you made an excellent point. So go for it. I mean, for me, because like I lived, I lived in a little box. Like I, I grew up in a little town where I had these amazing, successful parents um, who told me I, I, you know, if I worked hard, I would be successful too. And people here are really nice and uh and I, you know, I went out in the world not realizing that, you know, that racism is still a thing and misogyny is is still a thing. And like all of these, like, I didn't know the privilege that I grew up with. And uh, I was protected from that knowledge. And um, then, you know, I went out in the world at 22 and started to be confronted with these, these other challenges that people had to live with. And, and my first response was this very defensive, like, no, this is what I believe in. Don't challenge it. You're wrong. Like you're wrong. And it was scary and it was hard. And, uh, and it made me feel kind of terrible about myself. And, uh, it made me feel, feel unkind and it made me feel unfair. And uh, I think living in a box while you in some ways protect yourself from having to admit difficult things, um, it's not easier because then you, you, there's part of you that knows 
that you're being unfair. And there's part of you that knows that you, your dogmatism, because that's, you know, intolerance is kind of what living in a box is. Um, you know that you're causing suffering for other people. And uh, at, you're, you're basically protecting yourself from suffering at the expense of someone else. And uh, that's not easier. Not, so, not in the big picture. Sounds like what you're saying too is also you have to fight hard to keep your box. I mean, you you, you almost yeah. have to you have to fight to stay in. You you either have to fight or you have to isolate yourself yeah. so so completely that you really miss out on a lot. And uh, I mean, when I realized that, you know, I was I'm kind of a jerk and. Uh, realize that like I have really strong opinions and that I need to to get them get them out there to kind of realize where I'm making mistakes and realize where I'm being unfair like when Sharat started requiring an authorized teacher to to apply to the main shala like my knee-jerk reaction was like yeah duh I mean of course that's fair there are so many teachers in the world why do you need to go to the main shala like if you want to go like start at home but then I, I saw how much suffering it, people were experiencing as a result of that choice. And, you know, it made me realize like, you know, okay, sure. I still believe, I still believe that kind of the response, but, but responding in that way does not serve anyone. Like having, having compassion and admitting that, you know, that, Sometimes the right thing to do is hard for people and you don't have to relish in the fact that things that are easy for you are hard for other people. And like that, and I feel like that's kind of how we are, especially like people who are very successful as teachers get into this sort of pattern of where I am is where everyone should be kind of knowing that everyone can't be there. And, uh, and basically like saying this thing that's impossible for most people is the only thing that makes you legitimate. And uh, maybe that's true. I don't know. You know, I'm not like a particularly successful teacher, so I, I can't really say, but. Uh, Depends on how but, you measure success, if you ask me. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> that's true. So I'm going to disagree with you there. I think my students like me. I mean, <laughs> all four of them, right? I like you. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm off on a tangent, but I think, uh, for me being honest and being like vulnerable to the reality of the fact that we're selfish sometimes and that we, that we, for me, this is a big part of kind of my life and growing up. And I assume that it's the case for other people as well, but the reality of the fact that so many of the choices we make are a result of privileges that we have. I mean, like you can't, you can't deny that a majority of the people at the main shala are above average, wealthy and white, you know, like we're coming, we're coming at this from, from privilege. And, uh, totally and I think it's, I, I think it's really unfair to say that, people who don't have the privileges that I have in order to, to get, you know, to get these kind of boxes checked are somehow less legitimate in their relationship to their practice. 
because that's ridiculous. The practice is what you do on your mat, is what you do in your heart to really learn how to be serviceful and to be compassionate and and to just be a nice person. And like, if you're going to Mysore and you're practicing fourth series and you're coming home and you're being mean to your students and you're kind of lording your authority over people and you're making people cry and feel bad about themselves. Well, I mean, okay, like, great. Congratulations on advanced B, but like, you're kind of a jerk. Like, I, I'd rather practice with somebody who never went to Mysore and has learned the lessons of of honesty and vulnerability and and just a deep rooted compassion and kindness. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna even add a little bit to this because you're doing a great job as an authorized teacher, really talking so kindly and accepting and welcoming to anyone who has not been you know has not continued their studies there and who, who has not been authorized. But I'm gonna tell you. I've also been extremely warmly welcomed by so many teachers who do have the authorization. And, and in the community of Mysore, when I went to visit, I had nothing but, but love. Uh, really just, poor, I mean, just people smiled and were welcoming. They were so happy that I could make it there a lot, knew my story. They knew how long you know, I'd kind of waited to been able to come. I also saw a lot of families and people who had traveled there who really sacrificed a lot to get there, who yeah. really were struck. I mean, to have your child there, to have a six-year-old there is, is unbelievable. I got tried. No, Two-year-olds. No I have way I did not get since no, they were toddlers. That's no amazing. chance. I heard of people getting sick while they were there, really, really sick, like yeah. really big things happening, uh, relationships dissolving, uh, financial problems getting there. And, and truly, these were people who are doing it because they believe, because they want to bring this back to their communities, because they're traveling and they're wanting to continue their study. And this is where their teacher is. So yeah. I do want to put that out there also that yeah. so much respect, yeah. so much good for, good for someone who gets offered. I mean, like, I'm so happy. Like when somebody gets their authorization, maybe I was like, woohoo, like I'm so yeah. happy for them. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a really good point to bring up, um, that people, like the people who go to the Charlotte, like they don't actually suck, you know, like, <laughs> Um, sure. Like, sure. People will, um, you know, and I, I'm sure, I'm sure I've done it. I try, I try not to, but like, I, I know that I like, I will get up on a soapbox and I will be like, this is how it is, you know? And especially my first few years of really loving my time in Mysore, um, you know, obviously I would proselytize for, for, for that experience, but, uh, uh, but what it boils down to is, you know, there there are some people who are very vocal uh, who say, like, oh, this is the only valid experience in in whatever school, you know, whether it is one of these or whatever in whatever camp, whether it's one of these senior teachers saying that my tour is not what it used to be, my experience is the valid one, it's not possible to have that experience anymore. I don't think there's any reason to go. Or if it's the people in my source saying this is the only legitimate accreditation process, 
Um, this is the where the, the seed of the lineage is. Like, if you don't want to come here, then you're not really dedicated. You know, whatever this kind of extreme attitude that people have about wanting to basically say, my experience is valid, therefore any other experience is invalid. Um, you know, that's that sort of like need to be the best um, that is really unfortunate because I think deep down as a community, we don't feel that way. I think uh, generally speaking, maybe as an individual on a single day or, you know, in a certain experience, we'll have this kind of reactionary self-defense. I need to defend my experience and its authenticity. And the only way I can think to do that is to devalue someone else's experience. Um, you know, that happens for sure. And sometimes it happens like publicly, like online or somewhere that it, it kind of has this permanent staying power because of how it's communicated. Um, you know, and that's really unfortunate when that happens because I, I don't know if people actually feel that way all the time. Because just like you said, you know, people in Mysore are actually really nice and they're just like, they're happy that if you're happy and if you're doing your practice and you're trying hard, like they're not going to give you a bunch of shit about who your teacher is or whatever, you know, because that we're just all doing the same work and we want to be supportive of one another deep down. So I think a lot of the time, like in real time, face to face, it's easy to be mutually supportive. Um, but in this anonymous communication age, it, it tends to drive us more towards this defensive validating of our very specific experience um, as authentic and as as genuine. Um, and and to me, I wish more people would remember that like you don't have to be wrong for me to be right. Like you could have had a totally different experience, and it's still valid and authentic and and worthwhile and you did the work congratulations keep doing it um rather than saying i did the work this way you did the work that way because they're different therefore one of us has to be wrong and, and, and you know what isn't that like the yoga right you're supposed the yoga is like you experiencing yourself and you can't yeah. you i can't explain to you how i experience myself because only i can experience myself and we were talking about this the other day, um, and it was it was a it was an it was a nice point to discuss the uh, the reality of this sort of process is what Sharat refers to as Western mind with us, and uh, and I think the the problem is as leaders of the community, I wish. And you know, I don't, I don't know these people. Like, I, I just want to put that out there. I'm not a leader in the community. I'm not at this point real closely connected with many of these powerful leaders. So I, I this is all just kind of what I'm seeing remotely. Um, but this discussion of validity and this discussion of authorized versus non-authorized, or who is the seat of the lineage? Is it Manju? Is it Sharat? You know, where is the place like who's like is is Tim Miller's training in California more informative than going to the main jala? Like all of this, it doesn't matter. Like if if you're being served by it and you're learning, you know, on this path and you trust that person as your guide, that's enough. And 
for the teachers, for the leaders to start investing in this dialogue of validity and authenticity is creating this mind pattern that the students then have to deal with. And that I, I, I'm concerned that instead of saying, just do your practice and trust your teacher, don't think so much, it's better for you, we're reinforcing this pattern of overthinking and creating chitta vritti and, and, and facilitating thought processes that I'm pretty sure the practice is supposed to be training us out of this kind of separation um, and sense of isolation and, you know, need to be reinforced in our correctness. Like, I'm pretty sure that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. I love it. I have to tell you, I'm going to ask you to do something completely different than I asked my daughter. And my daughter is over there in my store and I told her, do not read blogs, do not get on Facebook, do not, do not participate in conversations that dialogue about stuff like this. I want you just to go practice and that's it. And luckily she's pretty shy and she's <laughs> antisocial. So that works for her really well. And, and she enjoys that. But then I'm going to ask you <laughs> to do the opposite. I'm so glad that we did this podcast. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation I love your voice. I love the way you speak from the heart, but I also love the way you investigate and the way you take time to explore and that you share from that perspective. You do have a strong voice. I do disagree with you. You are a leader, whether you know it or not. Um, I'm glad you don't recognize it so readily, but you absolutely are. And I hope that you continue to be because you're not only a passionate voice, but you're a kind voice and you're a reasonable voice. And you make a lot of sense, Zoe. You make a lot of sense. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, you know, I want everyone to be happy. I want the practice to work for people. I want them to feel supported in their ability to approach the practice. And whatever that means, I would rather that somebody did only standing twice a week with an unauthorized teacher for the rest of their life than that they never started practicing because they couldn't do it, quote unquote, right. You rock. I think you should run for president. That's what I'm <laughs> Just, oh man! Right? So you can you can be on the uh, Stanga ticket and we'll... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, I've taken yeah. up enough of your time. I know you have to go teach. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you well, so much. Uh, let's hey, let's put up your website, yogazoe.com. Yeah, yogazoe.com. Yogazoe.com, Charlottesville, Virginia. We're gonna get Zoe to talk more on the Ashtanga Dispatch. We want to see her write more. There is, if you go to ashtangadispatch.com, you can send me a message and just make the subject, Ask Zoe, and I will pass that message along to her and we can get her to speak from the heart as she does on the questions and topics that are important to you. So ashtangadispatch.com, go in there and send me a message, Ask Zoe. And I'll send it over to her and we'll see if we can get her to come out a little bit more and write some more. 
And yeah, that's it. Thanks so much, Zoe. And you can go down to Charlottesville and practice with Zoe. Do you travel around at all? Uh, well, I just opened my store Charlottesville about six what? weeks ago. Uh, I didn't even, she did not even tell me this. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, so, uh, so I'm kind of figuring out what I'm going to do with my year. You know, this, this was a big project to get off the ground. And, um, I now have a little headspace to start looking at, uh, other possibilities. So I, I hopefully, hopefully I'll be doing some traveling, um, but I don't have much on the schedule right now. Okay, well that's good enough for me. Go down to Charlottesville. She's got her own Shala new home. Is that what I see behind you as we're talking? Yeah. So beautiful. So congratulations. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Do you have a separate website for the Shala? Uh, no, my my Sir Charlottesville is the website, but it feeds to Yoga Zoe. So they're they're kind of um, they're kind of dual websites that work together. Okay, so for right now, go to yogazoe.com, go see her schedule, go visit her in Charlottesville, and I'm gonna have to come visit you, come see you in person. Yeah, I'd love that, that'd yeah. be great. Super, hey, thanks Zoe, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks Peg, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. This episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast is brought to you by Chris Lucas of CWL Consulting. Chris understands what matters most, relationships. And that's what he helps teachers like me do. Build an online relationship with the community that matters most to me. And he does this through web development, video series, and successful podcasts just like this one. Go to cwlucas.com and see how Chris can help you. Thank you for tuning in today. As always, you can subscribe, and I hope you do, to this podcast through iTunes and sign up for our monthly dispatch at ashtangadispatch.com. If you have any feedback, anything you'd like to share, even if you'd like to tell me whose brain you'd like me to pick next, contact me at ashtangadispatch.com or find me through Facebook, also Ashtanga Dispatch, and Instagram, Ashtanga Dispatch. Thanks again for listening. I promise to get going now on reading our next episode featuring Saraswati Joyce from Mysore.